January 6, 1994, the United States Figure Skating Championships in Detroit. Celebrity figure skater and gold medal hopeful, Nancy Kerrigan, is attacked by an unknown male assailant. Kerrigan is struck on her left leg with a club with the apparent intent to cripple her. It is only five weeks until the Winter Olympics in Lillehammer. True crime. Sex. Political conspiracy. Celebrity gossip. Murder. UFOs. Crooked officials. The occult. Assassination. Courtroom drama. Rape. Corporate scams. Scandal sheets. Hello everyone and welcome to Scandal Sheet. My name is Thad Helsley and today we are going to honor the onset of the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing, China with probably the greatest scandal in all modern Winter Olympic history. The violent 1994 conflict between two of the very best figure skaters in the entire world, Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan, both of them on the very same U.S. team. And towards this noble goal, I am joined, as always, by my remarkable co-host, Ellie. Hi, Thad. How's it going? And, of course, we are also joined by our brilliant artificial intelligence engine, Bernice. I love the Winter Olympics, but apparently all but one of the last 29 Winter Games sites cannot be used for future Winter Olympics due to climate change. They no longer have enough snow and aren't cold enough to be eligible. We were hoping to keep that fact in the down low, Bernice. So, uh, thanks so much for outing us. I'm adjusting your honesty setting. <laughs> well, are you looking forward to any specific events this year? I enjoy most of them. Uh, figure skating, downhill skiing, you know, anything but curling, actually. But I, I, I have a special fondness for the luge, which is the single-person sled event. And in fact, there's a nice little comedy bit. There's not that many comedy bits about the Winter Olympics, but there's this one that I remember. What, what's the joke about that? Well, why don't we just play it? From Good Day to Cross a River by Greg Giraldo, courtesy Comedy Central Records. How about those Winter Olympics, huh? That was pretty exciting. <laughs> Woo! Nobody gave a shit about the Winter Olympics because there's no more drama in it anymore. No more hard luck stories. Nobody to root for. It's getting pathetic. Last Winter Olympics, there was a loser, a lugeist from Long Island, New York. He was a loser. And, uh, they said it was amazing he was competing in the Olympics because he had overcome dyslexia to be there. Dyslexia. <laughs> I'm supposed to be rooting for this half a tard? What do I... <laughs> What do I give a shit if he's dyslexic? What Dyslexia, overcame dyslexia to compete in the luge? You can be dead and be pretty good at the luge. That's not like he's competing at spelling or something. Shit, I would, overcame dyslexia. You strap a dead guy on a luge sled. He comes in like two-tenths of a second behind world record time. There's no reading. There's no signs. You can't get all dyslexic. That's it. Oh, fuck, I'm heading back up. I just can't keep track, you know? The, the better readers go flying past you. Eat my dust, retard! I wanted to do that bit on the Letterman show. They wouldn't let me because they said it was a simplistic view of dyslexia and it might offend a lot of people. Like they're going to write letters. I mean, what's worse than happen? That's, that, yeah, that's awesome. 
Ellie, it was you that chose our last episode topic, which was the Beatles breakup 52 years ago. But then you surprised me again by pitching this new topic, also from the past, which is a brilliant, timely idea given the 2022 Winter Olympics. But this particular event actually occurred only a year after you were born, so you must have been in diapers then. I was certainly alive then, and I do have some memories of it, but it actually, honestly, never even occurred to me. So why did you suggest this topic? Well, I think one, tis the season. I myself am getting super excited to watch all these figure skaters in the Olympics and pretend that my, you know, one or two figures, not figure skating events, but my one or two visits to the ice skating rink every year would somehow qualify me to, you know, be doing these triple axles and things like they do. But I mean, let's face it, some of the other big scandals surrounding the current games are things that are just like way over our heads and out of our control. You know, we've been hearing a lot about athletes testing positive for COVID. There is a lot of corporate pressure on the Chinese detention and genocide of the Uyghur Muslims. Of course, the U.S. has declared that they are doing a diplomatic boycott of the Olympics. And I just feel like this story brings us back down to a Kardashian-esque level of entertainment and drama that everyone can just chew on for a little bit. Because I read a headline the other day that these winter games are just the guilty games to make everybody feel guilty about participating and watching. And I I think maybe we just need a little more lighthearted stories and drama to go along with with, uh, these Winter Olympics. Lighthearted, attempted attempted murder and and violence. So... (laughs) (laughs) That that happened, like you said, um, uh, you know, 27 years ago. Right. So I, I think it's... Uh, I think it's appropriate. You know, the the statute of limitations has passed. It's far enough in yeah. the past that we can joke about it. We can say, so, uh, you know, uh, how did you like the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Other than that other thing. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I, but one of the things that is interesting about this, like in the, all the history of professional sports, there's certainly lots of athletic rivalries, but it usually seems to be male athletes. You know, you know, one quarterback versus another quarterback, blah blah blah, the pitcher versus the hitter, etc. But this, these, um, these are women, you know, and it, that that just doesn't happen that often. This kind of an intense rivalry. Yeah, I think there are a few ideas people can have about that. One is that men men's sports typically have rivalries in the sports that men are, you know, working as a team and scoring points against against each other and people are on the offense and the defense and, you know, men are in some ways beating each other up, you know, in hockey games and things like that. And I think it's it's the fact that women just don't have those levels of testosterone that make them that competitive for going directly against another teammate, you know, in something like football or, but we just don't have that biological impoint, like impulse to beat each other up. And, um, you know, when we, when women do occasionally fight, it's just perceived as more of a cat fight. That'll be talked out later. And people get very interested in that. I mean, look at how popular the chain of Real Housewives reality TV show is, you know? Right. Um, I mean, people love women drama. And The Bachelor is a much more popular show than The Bachelorette because you have all these women who are fighting for this one man. Nobody really cares about The Bachelorette because it's all these men who are just fighting for this one woman. And, you know, there have been a few instances of men actually getting into real 
you know, fights and brawls on the show. But it's when women get into a fight, it's just this like argument that then they'll talk out later. And and for some reason, people just love seeing that. I think women especially, we just have this weird addiction to watching other women women fight. So I don't know if um, it can be related or I'm not sure it can entirely be categorized as a a sports rivalry. Um, I think people almost got hooked more on the idea of it being a a cat fight than a, than a rivalry between the two women. But you you were alive then a little bit more. uh, Yeah. I mean, I mean, the other thing about it that it's, I mean, because, you know, now we have sports where, you know, actually are, I mean, you've got mixed martial, female mixed martial arts. They, they're sitting there and they are literally fighting and that is what the sport is, right? I mean, you could, you, 50 years ago, you couldn't have imagined female boxing, but there it is, you know, and they're getting bleeding and getting their noses broken and stuff like that. What's weird about this is that this isn't a, a uh, contact sport, right? This isn't that, this is figure skating. You know, we're talking about figure skating, people beating each other up in figure skating. It's, it's not, you know, there's just, there isn't anything that is, uh, this isn't even close to beach volleyball. <laughs> right, right. Well, and that's where it's, it's just such a different type of sport. It's a performance sport. And they're not competing. There's no offense or defense in figure skating. It's you, you skate your perform, you know, your long program or your short program, and then the judges give you a score. There is no battling it out on the court for goals or anything like that. And I think the reality is that for most of your offense and defense sports, though, the men's are just going to be more popular. I mean, I'm going to say this as a woman, I would much rather go to a baseball game than a softball game just because I like baseball. <laughs> and I think for women, though, we do dominate the performance sports. So your figure skating in the Summer Olympics, gymnastics. I know a lot of people on Netflix have been really excited about cheer, the cheerleading series on Netflix. You know, that's really dominated by women as well. And so these performance sports are always, I think, going to be dominated by women because we're so much better at communicating with the judges and women like to watch these performance sports. So I think most people can off the top of their head name ice skaters. They can name gymnasts if they're female, but you really can't do the same for male. So that's where there is a gender disparity between your performance sports and then your regular sports of, I shouldn't say regular sports, and between your um, sports of you know, that have offense and defense and more competition between the actual teams and players. Well, the other thing is, is are, are the individuals in question, are they competitive for a medal? And in the case of Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan, both were considered to be competitive. Uh, In fact, Nancy Kerrigan in the previous Olympics had won a silver medal. So, or a bronze medal, I'm sorry. So that, enhances the drama if you're just like in the mix of a hundred other countries then it's not quite as exciting right so we'll even root for someone from another country if they're really the best of in you know in that particular sport right yeah yeah and that's an that's a good point the other thing to remember i think these winter olympics were so popular because they were coming right off the heels of the 1992 olympics because they switched the schedule to offset winter and summer Olympics. So everybody was all spooled up on their winter Olympics. Yep. And it was only two years later. So all the athletes were still in their prime and it was pretty much the same program. 
of, of people. So let's just move into it. Obviously, we are going to talk about this rivalry or, or whatever it is. So we should probably talk about each of these women individually first. Okay. Okay, Bernice, who was Nancy Kerrigan in 1994? Certainly. Nancy Ann Kerrigan is an American figure skater, actress, author, and philanthropist. Born in 1969 in Stoneham, Massachusetts, she came from what we would call today working-class stock. Her father was a welder and her mother a homemaker. Her two older brothers played hockey so she was exposed to skating at a very young age. At only age six, she began figure skating and won her first junior competition at age nine. Her parents, school coaches, and other observers recognized her extraordinary talent in those early days. As a result, her father worked three jobs, in order to pay for lessons with a professional trainer. This level of nurturing contributed to her unlikely ascension as a top seed for the United States and eventually led her to a bronze medal in the 1992 Winter Olympics. And Ellie, you know that anything I say characterizing either of these young women is going to get me and probably this pod into trouble. So as a young woman yourself, is there anything you want to say about Nancy in particular? Yeah, I think the most significant thing to add about Nancy is that the Kerrigans really were the American dream. So even though both women came from poor upbringings, which the media did a really good job of portraying that aspect, you know, of underdog for for both of the athletes, but even more so Tanya Harding. Nancy Kerrigan's family, they worked honestly and they worked hard to really just keep her on the ice. And the biggest difference between the two is that Nancy had just such a stable home life growing up and really supportive parents and ultimately went on to graduate high school and college and win an Olympic medal. And I think for any parent who's like watching the Olympics or wants to have their kid grow up with good role models, it's really inspiring and comforting for them to see that even if you don't have a corner office or, you know, can't get your kid into an Ivy League school or drop them off at soccer practice in an Escalade, if you just keep your head down and raise your family to focus on what's important in life, your kid can still succeed and and have some of those greatest parts of the American dream. And that's such a sellable and relatable story on the Kerrigan side. And I think that that's something that the media really took and ran with throughout the entire saga of uh, the scandal. So, Bernice, who was Tanya Harding in the same period? Tanya Maxine Harding is a former American figure skater, retired boxer, reality television personality and current home services trade person. Born in 1970, Harding was raised primarily by her mother, who enrolled her in ice skating lessons beginning at three years old. While she was the victim of both physical and psychological abuse by her mother, she spent much of her early life training for skating, eventually dropping out of high school in her sophomore year to devote her full time to the sport. Her less than happy home life as a teen was magnified by multiple incidents of sexual molestation and even rape by both family members and acquaintances, according to Portland, Oregon police records. In fact, one family acquaintance was sentenced to and served multiple years in jail on rape charges, as a result. Despite these profound obstacles, Harding climbed the ranks in the, the United States Figure Skating Championships between 1986 and 1989. She became the 1991 and 1994 United States Champion, at the point our current story unfolds. Tonya Harding had a really rough upbringing, 
and actually I'm going to reverse that because rough upbringing is probably one of the understatements of the century. She did not have a stable home life. She moved countless times uh, as a child and as a teenager. She was raped multiple times as a teenager. And these are things that just really weren't talked about in 1994. I mean, this was well ahead of the Me Too movement. And it's something that in the Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding scandal, the media really either didn't have their hands on or didn't want to portray with U.S. figure skating. But Tanya definitely had a past that had a huge influence on her personality and who she was. And you could tell that based on some of her actions, the way she gave interviews and the fact that she was, you know, married at 19 and then also divorced very young. I think the U.S. Figure Skating Association, if they had to pick one of those women to be the face of figure skating, they're going to pick Nancy Kerrigan. She just had a much more stable home life and she had a much more graceful presence about her. But you can't fault Tanya for not having those things. She had a really terrible childhood and it's incredible that she accomplish what she did with that kind of background. Well, I was kind of surprised to hear that because they were both in the same sport at the same time, they were in the same competitions, and of course they were both U.S. skaters, they were almost sort of friends. I mean, when you look at those documentaries, I mean, there they are with their teammates, they got their arms around each other, they were roommates on a f- several occasions. Now, I, they don't describe themselves that way now, but but back when they were in their early 20s, that that seemed, you know sort of ironic. Yeah, I think it's interesting in my research that the term friends definitely seems to be relative. And I don't know if just rooming together to save money before competition automatically makes them friends. But it definitely, you know, it appears that they were friendly. um, As you mentioned, at one point, you know, I'm not sure they were doing each other's hair and makeup before competitions. It doesn't seem that they were ever hostile towards each other. You're right. And The other interesting thing to note is that actually Tanya Harding was married in her early 20s. So I think they always just had different personal lives, uh, a different type of personal life. Mm -hmm. They weren't, you know, on the same level of being like, say, college roommates or something like that. They weren't both just these footloose, fancy free girls who traveled together all the time. Mm -hmm. But I mean, they were both Americans. They were both and fits and starts on their way to the 1994 Olympics. And they were supposed to be competing against, you know, on behalf of the United States against uh, female skaters from a hundred other countries. But so what is the story here? What, what, what is the, the crux of the story that we're going to be talking about? As we heard in the teaser open to this episode, Nancy Kerrigan was attacked at the, the United States figure skating championships in January of 1994 by an unknown male assailant. He used a professional, telescoping police baton, normally used in riot control. We later learned, he was attempting to cripple Kerrigan by breaking one of her knees and thereby removing her from competition. However, the assailant was thankfully incompetent. He only succeeded in hitting Kerrigan's right thigh. Though failing his mission, the hitman did manage to elude authorities and fled the scene of the crime. With Kerrigan in the hospital, her closest rival, Tanya Harding went on to win the gold medal at the championship games cementing her place on that year's Olympic team. Though injured and with the Winter Olympics only five weeks away, Kerrigan worked very hard and was able to recover and eventually compete in the Games. In the meantime, 
the larger plot gradually came to light. The assailant, Shane Stant, was apprehended by police. He turned out to be a hitman hired by two people very close to Tanya Harding. One was her ex-husband, Jeff Gillooly, and the other, her bodyguard Sean Eckhart. Tanya initially denied all knowledge of the attack. Later, this would change. So, Kerrigan is, sustains this injury from, that, from an attacker. And at first it seems like she's out of the, might be out of the competition for good. But uh, apparently the guy had bad aim and she recovers in time to actually compete in the Olympics. So she and Tanya Harding are both there. And then when it's Tanya Harding's chance to form, she has this issue with her lace. If she's not out here in 45 seconds, I think they're going to disqualify her. I'm not sure. I've never seen anything like this before at any competition. She's got to hurry. It's not going to hold me. Well, she's still obviously worried about the lace. She should be more worried about the performance, but I guess you can't worry about the performance unless your equipment is ready. The free skate ladies' competition, four minutes in length. It accounts for two-thirds of the final score. Tanya Harding, after that mistake-filled technical program, is in 10th place. She looked down at her skate. It looked like she was uncomfortable, and I think she's going to quit. Whenever a skater has a problem, whether it's a costume or a hook or a lace, they have to go right to the referee, report the problem, and then the referee makes a ruling. I'm sure what she's telling them right now is that she tried her best to get out here on time. She threw the lace on, she threw it together, and, and she did the best she could to get out here. I really think that the skate lace is a one-off, and I'm not sure the Kerrigan side ever had any malicious intent towards Tanya Harding. I I think that was just an unfortunate event that happened just shortly after the attack. If anything, I think it could have been staged by media just for even more coverage. Um, but that's just the little conspiratorial side of me who wants to believe that maybe there were some more people involved who just really loved the lucrative media coverage that was coming along with this whole scandal and kind of didn't want it to end. So you're, you're suggesting that Nancy Kerrigan was responsible for the, the lace. I'm, I'm not suggesting that Nancy Kerrigan was responsible for the lace. I'm just, I think somebody may have been responsible for it if it wasn't a one-off just simply because it gave a little more media attention and got people really speculating about whether or not it was Nancy Kerrigan who did it. You know, even, you know, 28 years later, if you have people still talking about this event and whether or not Nancy Kerrigan messed with the lace, that's still good for the story. So I think there's maybe if it if it wasn't just an accident, which it could have just been a one off, then I don't think it came from the Kerrigan side. I think it may have come from somebody who wanted us to keep talking about it decades later. But then the thing was, the judges are somewhat sympathetic to her and then they let her have a second chance. At the end of the program, she out of order, she gets to come out and she does okay. 
Yeah, she does, you know, um, but it's it's just not good enough. And she no. still ends up getting eighth place. And so she you're right. She does just OK, but not not Olympic level skating. And it's just the reality that so many people, you know, including Nancy Kerrigan and also a Ukrainian skater just came out and totally nailed it. And I think Tanya Harding will never get that final performance, that final performance glory where you just go out and you, you kill it. Right. Right. Yeah, it is. It does seem kind of, kind of ironic because Kerrigan was supposed to be eliminated from competition and then she goes in there and she does awesome. I mean, she doesn't look at all like she, you know, almost had her knee broken or, or something like that. And, you know, and she wins a silver medal. And uh, like you said, the, the, the gal who won, the, what was her name? The Ukrainian skater who won. I mean, she was, she was unbelievable, but uh, Kerrigan was awesome, you know? And I bet, I bet that just, that just must've killed Harding. Yeah. Because it was such a fantastic performance and it's a comeback performance and everybody loves to see a good comeback performance unless you're Tanya Harding. And- unless you're Tanya yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Unless you're- <laughs> Yeah, she's going. Okay, is there, is there a sharpshooter rifle around here somewhere? Oh my God, where's Lee Harvey Oswald when you need him? Uh, yeah, you know, you know, I was I was pretty surprised to see how many songs and references are made to Tanya Harding just in popular culture, and you know, now it's even a phrase I've heard multiple times. You know, like, oh, don't go Tanya Harding on her. So I think it's it's just interesting how that's become a part of popular culture just you know beating somebody up so ellie the underlying tragedy of this story in the way it was portrayed by the mainstream media in 1994 made it seem that tanya was unable to win on her own unless kerrigan was somehow neutralized as a competitor thus the attack is planned and executed But the whole thing makes me so extraordinarily sad because Tanya had previously and indisputably proven herself as a world-class skater. So if the attack had not happened, Tanya had a shot at the gold medal entirely on her own merits. Case in point, she was the first female skater in history to perform a triple axle in competition, which she did in the U.S. Championships in 1991. Great power, great speed, and great athletic ability. And the question is whether three moves into the program, she will do a triple axle. First, a triple lutz. Now the question is whether she will become the first American to attempt and complete a triple axle jump. We will know that here, whether she tries it or not. Good girl! Oh, isn't that great? The first time an American, only Midori Ito... Ellie, none of the eventual figure skating medal winners in the 1994 Olympics ever accomplished even one triple axel in their entire careers. But the U.S. media, so engrossed in the Kerrigan attack scandal, 
never gave Tanya full credit for her world-class Well, she's written a little history, and she still has three minutes left in this routine. Tanya Harding. You have a great point there. I agree that Tanya Harding easily could have won a gold medal just based on her own athleticism. And hindsight's always 20-20. It's always woulda, coulda, shoulda. But scandals have a way of doing this where they really overshadow the accomplishments and the talent of the person who's at the center of the scandal. And you're right, Tanya Harding has even said, the one thing that no one can ever take away from me is my triple axel. And she's absolutely correct. It, she's a great athlete. And I, I think we do need to give her more credit for her athleticism in skating. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about because this a big part of the story was Tanya directly involved. So this was it wasn't just the rivalry between them. It was like who attacked Nancy Kerrigan and why did they do it? So it was eventually discovered. Originally, it was a complete mystery, and then they found out that it was a guy who had been hired by Tanya Harding's ex-husband. Like you had said earlier on, she got married at a very young age, like at 19, but the marriage didn't last and they got divorced. And then now, although they still apparently would stay in touch or hook up here and there, and then now she denies that she had any knowledge of or connection to the attack whatsoever. But then all of these things start trickling out. The attacker was hired by her ex-husband. How could she not know? what was going on. What do you think? Yeah. You know, at first I would like to think that she would have no idea what her ex-husband was doing because he's her ex-husband. But then I learned that they even lived together after they separated. And oh, did they live together? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I, I now am more of a believer that she did know. And, you know, she said that she she ultimately came out and confessed that she did know about some of their plans, but didn't think that they were that serious. And Well, she said uh, she knew them after the fact. She heard about them after the fact, not before, which is an important oh, difference. That's right. right? Yes, so yes, that's right. That's all she ever confessed to. Now, of course, I don't think she was believed. You know, and then there were some other things, like they found some some trash in a dumpster behind uh, her ex-husband's apartment building, and there was some notes about what they were going to do. And on those notes, and mo- it was mostly his handwriting and the handwriting of the guy he had hired, but there was evidence of her handwriting on that same piece of paper, Tanya Harding's handwriting, which would then suggest that she did know in advance what they were planning. Right. Well, and I'm I I don't know because I wasn't there. I almost wonder, was it a piece of paper where she wrote down where she was going to be performing and what she was going to be doing? And then they took that and made their own notes for attacking Nancy. Exactly. That's what her happens to be on the same piece of paper. That's what her attorney would say. Yes, that is. You're right. You're right. That's, you know, all those things. It's very circumstantial evidence if you don't have any you know, direct eyewitnesses or recordings or what have you. But in Yeah, back then you didn't have iCal, you know, you didn't have like a shared Outlook calendar or something where you could just post the address and the time. (laughs) Kill Nancy Kerrigan at (laughs) two thirty five PM or cripple Nancy Kerrigan. (laughs) Uh, oops, I accidentally invited the wrong person to that event. You know? (laughs) 
<laughs> Invite Nancy Kerrigan. To yeah, Nancy Kerrigan. <laughs> Please go to the locker room and meet the man with the club. <laughs> and then on Nancy's calendar, it's like snip Tanya Harding shoelace in half one minute before she goes on stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, you know, we're just, we're never going to know. <laughs> they had to deal with pen and paper back then. We don't do that anymore. I don't write down where I'm going or what I'm doing. So also, if I wrote something down, nobody would be able to read my handwriting anyway. Maybe maybe that was Tanya Harding's biggest mistake is that she had too good of handwriting for them to be able to read and match um, <laughs> to the evidence. <laughs> so, they, you know, when all is said and done, Nancy Kerrigan comes out of this thing pretty much smelling like a rose. She's got a silver medal. You know, the world is her oyster. Meanwhile, Tanya Harding is kicked out of professional skating forever by that association you were trying to uh, mention before. Well, I guess we'll have to look it up. The Women's U.S. Figure Skating Association of whatever. Anyway, so she gets kicked out of skating and she ends up doing all kinds of bizarre, odd jobs, including retail and, and uh, you know, manual labor, like, like building decks. And, and then for a time, she becomes a professional wrestler, a female professional yeah. wrestler. I, I think it's super interesting how she had to use just the fame of her name to make money. And so, as I mentioned with, you know, some her name being in different songs and is now sort of a just a verb in and of itself uh, to don't Tanya Harding somebody, you know, it, it was almost appropriate that she became a professional wrestler and used her name and her background to be able to make some money. And but beyond that, I mean, I, I have to say I am so incredibly impressed by her work ethic after she was kicked out of professional skating. Oh, really? I mean, I think I think she has bigger balls than most men I know. I mean, look, she's, you know, been a welder. She's been a painter. A welder, she's right. She's been a landscaper. Yep. Uh, she worked as a hardware sales clerk. She does a lot of male-oriented jobs. She's a very tough woman. And I think most men don't even have a baseline knowledge of a single one of those areas that she's worked in since then. So I, I really respect her in her career 2.0, her post figure skating life. Mm -hmm. You know, and the other thing I want to ask you that strikes me as bizarre. And I guess you were saying that the media did a good job portraying that they both came from working class environments. And I guess when those Olympics were actually going on, I was certainly aware of, you know, this whole scandal, but maybe I didn't, wasn't paying enough attention to those backstory documentaries that NBC whips up about everybody and, uh, you know, the dyslexic loser. Um, <laughs> you know, I always had the impression, uh, it just seemed to me just watching this thing unfold without really knowing, like when we were doing research for this episode and I sat down and actually watched the documentary about them, each of them growing up. And, uh, and I was like, wow, I didn't realize Nancy Kerrigan came from a working class background. I had the story in my mind was trailer park chick versus rich bitch. Sorry to say it that way. But that was kind of right. like the way it was getting pitched to me. You know, and part of it, I guess, is maybe Nancy Kerrigan just had she had more 
classic features, you know, almost model-like features. And maybe she just had better management, you know, uh, people that, that, that were just more Madison Avenue. And because Tanya Harding was, you know, in those, in those, and neither of them lived in a trailer park. That's a, such an unfair thing to say. But but just the way she would present herself, the way she applied her makeup and everything else. Like there was a, a quote in one of those documentaries where they're interviewing her and she was complaining. It's like, you know, they were always telling me I had to skate with Mozart. I wanted to skate with Metallica playing. You know, that was her attitude, which is fine. Right. But it, it just played into this this class kind of rivalry right and i think a a thing to remember is that when this scandal happened they were both already famous and nancy kerrigan already had a lot of sponsorship deals she was in a lot of commercials right so she had already been elevated to that celebrity status and i think that's why it was so easy for the media to then portray her as this very affluent person because at that point she really was even though she had more humble backgrounds as a a kid and you know her dad working three jobs just to pay for her ice time i think this point in her life she had a lot more revenue and she probably could afford a much better management team and much better pr people than tanya harding could and i think a big part of that was really influenced by the u.s figure skating association because they've said that they wanted her to be the face of the association and so when Kerrigan? you have that push, yeah. Nancy Kerrigan? Okay. Yeah. And so when you have that push coming from the governing body for your sport, you're going to have more, you know, sponsorship opportunities and, you know, you're just going to become a, a bigger name and you're going to have more fans. And I think a lot of those opportunities were not really presented to Tanya Harding because she didn't have as much of a backing by the governing body. That's just well, the other, you know, the other thing is, I I think, you know, when they do, like we talked about up front, there are so many throughout history sports rivalries. And, and yet when they talk about, you know, Babe Ruth versus Joe DiMaggio or something like that, they don't really get into sort of the wounding aspects of, you know, how they grew up and, you know, how poor they were or how rich they were. And it's almost seems like, you know, they the media really crossed a line, I guess. And it seems to me it's like because they were women, it was okay to, like you say, kind of go Kardashian on them you know, 20 years in advance of those two people. But, you know, to actually get into the, you know, the nuts and bolts of their upbringing and things like that, as opposed to focusing on the, the obvious thing, which is just the, you know, their athletic ability and their artistic ability. I mean, that's what they were competing on, you know, not whether or not, you know, one lived in a trailer and, you know, one lived on uh, Fifth Avenue or something. It just seemed unfair because they were women. Right. Well, and it's not just because they were women. I think it's also because a lot of the spectators were women. I remember reading a few years ago before a Super Bowl, it was a an article about a lot of the commercials and the the little side stories that you'll see. And they were talking about how women love to watch the human backstory of like players and coaches and how people got to where they were. Most women don't just want to sit down and watch a game. They want to have some sort of personal connection with 
the players and with what what it is they're watching. And so I think this was that perfect storm of you have two women who have interesting backstories. It's a sport where women really dominate and where you have mostly women spectators. And so because of that, the backstory just becomes much more exciting. And as we talked about, you know, it's, it's just much more exciting to watch female cat fights and things like that. This was like reality TV before reality TV existed. Right. And so I, I think the, I think the media just really took it and ran with it because it was such a lucrative story that everybody got on board with. It was athleticism, you know, and the comeback story of Nancy Kerrigan after her injury. But beyond that, it was excitement about like who whacked her and, you know, do the women get along and, oh, look at Tanya Harding. She's smoking behind the building. Like she must be a bad girl. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I think the me I think a big part of it is the, you know, the media just really took it and, and ran with it. And, you know, this is a question I had for you because you have worked in media your whole career. I mean, this was like the whack herd around the world and right. it was so popular. I mean, you had tabloids, you had nightly news, business columns, they were all covering it. And, you know, you've mentioned that you're sympathetic towards Tanya just because of the way that she's been portrayed. But when the media increases the popularity of something like this on a scale of one to 10, how likely is it that this is one of the biggest scandals because of the lucrative nature of the coverage? Well, and that is true. People in newsrooms, and and I was I was in a company that had well over a hundred uh, newspapers and television stations. Although I was on the digital side, so I was only working on the websites and the mobile apps and and what have you. But those were very very measurable. So we had the ability which uh, traditional reporters didn't have. They didn't really know. What they knew what the circulation of a newspaper was, or maybe what the Nielsen rating of a show was, but they didn't really know which articles people were reading. Whereas on a website or, or a mobile app, I could tell a reporter exactly what people read, right? This many people read this story. And it just intuitively, you know, like you're saying, we love conflict, we love a good drama, scandal, the juicier, the better. And when people sniff that story, then they start to just magnify it and over and over again. And that is part of what what drives it. I, I remember uh, I used to sell a lot of national advertising and sometimes people would call me and say, you know what? It seems like the only thing you guys have on your site, and we were talking about USA Today, is bad news. I mean, I'm looking at this plane wreck. I'm looking at, okay, the brakes failed on, on all these Lexus cars and people died because the brakes failed while they were going down. It's like, we're, you know, I, I don't want to run my product. I don't want to run my ad for Miller Beer against bad news. And I'm like, it's like, yeah. dude, bad news sells. I'm sorry. If I do about like a guy rescuing a cat from a tree and put that on the front page, no one's going to, no one's going to read that story. I'm sorry. That's just the way the world works. Right. Right. And you know, this is just such a fascinating story because it, even in some of the documentaries, it was mentioned multiple times that everyone financially benefited from this scandal, except Tanya. I, you know, the the TV audiences were record breaking at the time. And, you know, because of all of that attention, you had 
the U.S. Figure Skating Association just booming in numbers and increasing their number of competitive events, which, you know, increased their revenue. And, you know, you had Nancy Kerrigan having more PR opportunities after that. And of course, she won a silver medal. So she uh, got a lot of money from that. And everybody made money except Tanya. Like she was the one fall person who ended up having to go into professional wrestling just because people thought she was good. at. Well, but you did say, I mean, she did become a household name and she did leverage her name in a lot of those activities. She probably wouldn't have been a professional wrestler. She was also like a commentator on on shows, you know, she was just one of, she was like a professional celebrity, you know, like a Kardashian, you know, who doesn't really, they don't really have any talents or anything. They're just professional celebrities. They're famous for being famous. So she, 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 she was able to leverage her name. She may not have leveraged it the way Kerrigan did because she became a professional. Kerrigan became a professional after the Olympics and she would be skating and, you know, Disney ice capades. And she did that kind of stuff for, you know, 10 plus years and probably made a a small fortune doing that. Right. Well, and then going back to the media coverage, though, and how we we love conflict, even after a lot of this had brushed over, there was a lot of media coverage that was harsh towards Nancy later just because of different comments that she would make under a hot mic, like even when they were going up to the podium for her silver and then the U- Ukrainian skater's gold. The, the Ukrainian skater was a little bit late because she was redoing her makeup because she had been crying. And, you know, I think Nancy Kerrigan got caught saying like, oh, come on, let's just hurry up and do it. It doesn't matter or something along those lines. And people, you know, all of a sudden. Was that the girl, was that the girl that won? The Ukrainian uh, the, figure skater? The girl that won was the one, yeah, who was redoing her makeup. Ah. Um, and and uh, Nancy Kerrigan had another issue, I think, at Disney World where she was oh, right. you know, caught, you know, she, making uh, right. harsh statements about, like, Mickey Mouse and how it was, you know, miserable to be there. And <laughs> We have an attitude problem here. We just wanted to welcome you back. During a parade, Kerrigan complained to Mickey Mouse. It's so corny, so dumb. I hate it. The most corny thing I've ever done. Disney also arranged for Kerrigan to make appearances on the morning talk shows. Today in L.A., viewers got only an empty chair until Kerrigan finally showed up only seconds before the end of the show. Hi, Southern California. Apparently, somebody forgot to remind Nancy Kerrigan that Disney is paying her a reported $2 million to make television appearances like these, a movie and a TV deal. It looks like Disney has a frosty ice princess on their hands. And yes, so and like everybody it not, just loves, it doesn't matter if you're on the top or not, you know, the, the media loves conflict, you know, like you were saying, and people love conflict. The media loves conflict because people love conflict. And that's what makes money for media, right? I, I guess that's how I've always viewed it, even though I don't work in the, in the media industry. There are more male athletes. I mean, we still don't give female athletes the same attention as, I mean, the NFL, the NBA that is is never going to be, well, at least it has never been so far, equal to the Women's Basketball Association, right? So right. we just don't give right. female ad- – figure skating is one of the few places where we we allow women to be figure skating, gymnasts, like you said, Simone Biles, gymnastics. Women are allowed to be the best of the best, you know, better than men. But it, there's, it's a very limited number of, uh, you know, professions that where that's true. As far as women just being able to connect with judges and perform in a very athletic sport. So they're, yeah, they do 
run these particular events and they are the most famous. Absolutely. So Ellie, we always like to end with a jury summation here on Scandal Sheet. Was, do you think Tanya Harding was really guilty of anything or was Nancy guilty of anything other than just, you know, the usual foibles of being in the spotlight as they were? Um, I don't think they were guilty of anything. I think Tanya, not, yeah, I either, think of, either them. of them was guilty of anything. I think Tanya probably, I, I, I believe her. I trust her when, you know, she says she found out about it afterwards. And I think she was just maybe scared and overwhelmed and didn't want, and I think part of it was maybe a little ashamed that, oh my God, how can my ex-husband do something like this and, you know, ruin my whole career? I don't, I don't blame her for maybe not coming forward or for not wanting to present that information. And, you know, then they kind of had to dig it out of her. And I, I don't think Nancy Kerrigan was, was guilty of anything either. I think, I think this scandal was truly something that was made much bigger and much more exciting just based on the media coverage and, and based on the fact that it was the Olympics. What, what do you think? Ah. <laughs> yeah, I should have thought about what what I was going to say here. I guess I'm I'm I lean in your direction. I think Tanya Hardy may not have been guilty, but I think there was some complicity. I don't know if he would have even her husband based on all the descriptions of him would have have even been had the imagination to dream something like this up if maybe she had not even at least, even if it was sort of unintentional, like, oh man, I'd kill that guy. You know, stuff, people say things like that or whatever. I would punch him in the nose if I had a chance. I don't know. Maybe she said something that led him in that direction. Yeah. Well, and that's where it's tough because it, did she say something, you know, just after. No, and we can't. We'll drinks, never know. And, yeah, exactly. You know, right. then he took it a little too seriously. Maybe he did it to try to win her back. Yeah. Well, that's that's a good theory. There, there you go. You know, look, look what I did for you. I took out your competition and <laughs> accidentally ruined your whole career. So I hope you have a good career uh, cutting down trees. <laughs> Right. Um, but who wants to win that way? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's very short sighted. Well, it's time for Ellie and I to appear before the grand jury, everyone. Just a reminder an indictment is not a conviction. So, hopefully, Ellie and I will be back with a new episode in two weeks, as usual. I hope the insights we offered you today will enhance your enjoyment of the police state combo fascist winter games. <laughs> Whoops, I mean the Chinese hosted winter games. We join with our U.S. corporation, NBC, the TV network broadcasting the Olympic Games in America and other English company, uh, countries, in asking you to ignore the greatest enslavement and genocide on planet Earth taking place in China today. So there you go. And if you have a problem with the guilt games this year, remember that you listen to this podcast and watch the Olympics on devices that were manufactured overseas and are only affordable to us because of the cheap labor. Dun, 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 dun. Good point. Yes, the iPhone factory is located in China. 
So we hope you'll follow or subscribe to Scandal Sheet on your favorite pod platform and share it with all your friends. We'd also love it if you'd leave us a shameless, over-the-top rave review on Apple Podcasts especially. That helps us build audience. Also, we want to hear from you. You can reach us online at scandalsheetpod.com, Facebook, or Twitter, or just send us an email to contact at scandalsheetpod.com. We'll see you next time on Scandal Sheet. Copyright 2022, Thad Helsley Media, LLC. All rights reserved.